Hi friends, this is the Elemental Conversations podcast, episode 19. Today I am talking with my very good friend, Anne Molesky, about opening routines and specifically opening routines in the first days and weeks of elementary general music. This is a conversation that is jam-packed with a lot of practical advice, but perhaps even more importantly, in my view at least, it has a lot of the core values that we think about when it's time to create an opening routine. And the reason I am excited about focusing on core values instead of quick tips and tricks is that you will have some things to think about when you are ready to maybe tune up your opening routine if you have one already, or think about how you might want to start one if this is a new area for you. It is entirely likely that you are already familiar with Anne and her work, but if not, Anne Molesky runs uh, the Anna Krusik podcast, and she has several programs where she helps teachers become more purposeful, sequential, and joyful in their music teaching. Anne is a powerhouse when it comes to pedagogy. She is certified in everything you can imagine, um, and she has really made this question of children and how children learn. She has really made this her life work. Uh, she is fully certified in Orf Schulwerk, in Kodai Pedagogy, Smithsonian Folkways World Music Pedagogy, and she has taken her General Level 1 Music Learning Theory course as well. And then she's also completed some coursework in Dow Crow's Eurythmics. She has a Bachelor of Music degree in trumpet performance, as well as a Master of Trumpet Performance and a Master of Music in Music Education. So I am very honored to call her my friend, and I'm very excited to share this conversation with you. Let's talk about opening routines. So what are we talking about today, friend? Let's talk about some opening routines, some warm-up routines, getting class started, and let's talk about that from the perspective of towards the first part of the year. Yeah, I like it. And just to say that this is not necessarily like a how-to, open your very first music class ever. It's just some general things that we think about, things we like to talk about when it comes to opening routines um, and, and how you begin music class, because there's probably plenty of people listening who have already started or who are starting tomorrow or starting today, depending on when they're hearing this from us. And, um, it's not too late to (laughs) start doing any of this stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, these are just good ideas, best practices. And to that point, to that point, people are starting their, you know, K-5, public school situation but also we have like community choir starting we have like our after school choir our after school band and so this idea of starting out in a way that is musical and a way that sets the tone for the rest of the rehearsal or the music making space right like we can call it that it's just a space where we're going to make music together and as the adults in the room we get to set that tone which is a really exciting thing yeah for sure so, oh my gosh, I, I never know where exactly to start. So let's start with like the goals of an opening routine or an opening sequence or just the beginning of whatever music making experience you're having. And for me, the, I have two main goals, no matter what it looks like. And it's always to set the tone for, for what I'm doing that day in rehearsal, in class, in whatever, and to start making music right away. 
So especially if like kids are coming from recess, they're coming from lunch, they're coming from after school dismissal, they've had a whole day of stuff, they're coming into your room for choir or whatever it might be. Um, that's a huge transition point, right? And we know that we lose our kiddos a lot of times in transition. So the sooner we can start the music making, the better. Um, and the sooner you can you can set set them up for success by doing the things that you generally would expect in your music classroom, I think the better. So those are kind of my two big goals for an opening routine or an opening sequence. Yeah, I like that because music is just so drastically different from anything else that they do in their school day. It is so drastically different from anything. I guess the most similar would be uh, PE mm-hmm. or recess. I think those are the only similar, off the top of my head, the only similar uh, environments as far as like the social aspect of it and the role of like student choice and stuff like that. So yeah, I I completely agree that it's great to have a way to move from sitting at a desk doing your whatever you've been memorizing that day and then say hey this is the time for us to move this is the time for us to make eye contact and smile this is a social time this is a collaborative time this is a musical time i like that yeah and in free in, space too right like that's a huge thing yeah. <laughs> if there's especially if you don't have desks in your room or chairs set up you know i often have have like sit spots or a rug or something and so they know where to find their quote-unquote spots but that's kind of a abstract concept when you come into a music room that's set up for music making so yeah Right. Yeah. So the first thing I have on my list in terms of an opening routine is about the physical space Mm. in the sense that we are here in the classroom and this is what it looks like to be in this music classroom because it's a very different space than your traditional learning environment, unless you're at like a school that does, uh, you know, no assigned seats and it's all flexible and like whatever. Um, But other than that, this is a really, really different situation. And so this is the physical space of the classroom, but also this is the physical space of my body because music learning happens in the body. And so part of the routine is both getting acclimated to the spatial relationships of everything around us, right? Like not tripping over instruments or um, not tripping over each other. Uh, So there's some coordination there, but it's also setting the tone to use your language that we're going to use our bodies this is a very physical active space and so we're we're creating that from from the very beginning so i have physical space as my first goal and then all of this and we could really use your same language of setting the tone i want to set up the physical space i want to set up the emotional space and the social space and then the musical space and not necessarily in that order but those are the things that I think I want to make happen in the first little bit. And when I say little bit, this is an interesting question. How long is your <laughs> opening routine? Go. I feel like so much of this is like this thing, not this thing, not this thing. Like there's so many elements to this and all the little things that you don't really think about. Um, it depends, Victoria, right? Isn't that like the age old answer? Um, it depends because just to be really transparent, like with my K1 pre-K through second grade ish, I generally have like a pretty, not strict, but kind of set, I guess, opening routine where the kids know exactly what that sequence is going to look like. And there's going to be a little variation depending on what my learning target is for the day, which is like a whole other, 
you know, side conversation as well. Um, but with my older kids, it's probably a little different because we usually kind of just jump right in to something that sets up all the spaces like you were talking about, right? Like a familiar activity because they don't necessarily need to sit and like saying echo saying like hello with their name back and forth with me. Um, we do things similarly, like similar types of exercises, but in an older student twist, if you will. So I would say if I have a 25 to 30 minute lesson with my K through two kiddos, it's probably five minutes. If I am doing it with my older kids, it's probably already a pretty meaty part of my lesson. It just so happens to be an activity that is setting up those spaces, like you talked about, kind of that shared space, self-space type thing, the emotional, the the cognitive stuff. Um, but we're already kind of diving right on in to the learning target instead of prepping them up to be ready to do the learning target, if that makes sense. That is probably a really great distinction because I think that, especially if you come from, well, if you come from an ensemble background, which Mm -hmm. most music teachers do because we went to a university, a conservatory, a master's program, something like that, the opening routine for an ensemble is like, sitting down and doing exercises and doing drills. Talk to me, um, and by the way, just just for colleagues listening, Anne and I have not uh, discussed beforehand what we're talking about. In <laughs> it's all of, a surprise. <laughs> in terms of the outline. So um, she's, uh, we're both kind of flying by the seat of our pants in uh, what we hope is going to be a really enjoyable, off-the-cuff conversation like we normally have about these topics just with microphones on. Yeah, exactly. Talk to me about you know in a choral warm-up you would have some vocal exercises that you would walk through what do you and I know that teachers especially in and I'm not boxing people in especially in like the Kodai Mm -hmm. field um, in the fire robin field uh same like a lot of music learning theory stuff the vocal development part of it is a really important part of the warm-up what's your what's your thought on that as far as how much vocal warm up in oh gosh I guess like in a traditional sense yeah yeah I know what you're saying yeah and it's a tricky thing because um I've seen it done a lot of different ways I've seen folks who are doing more of like a traditional quote-unquote like vocal warm-up that you would see in more of a choral inspired classroom I've seen people do just like echo singing I've seen teachers do very specific like melodic reading patterns, whether it's like reading notation, be it formal or iconic, um, or just doing echoing from hand signs or echoing from a body ladder, echoing just on neutral syllables. I mean, like there's a whole huge range of what you put in that category, right? And for me, you know, talking about students, this learning readiness idea in an opening routine, I want them to be using their bodies, like you mentioned, I want them to be using their bodies as an instrument, both with their voice and with movement. So we're doing stretches, both body and vocal when they come into the classroom. So with my itty bitties, that probably looks like, um, that probably looks like doing like sirens and vocal explorations and that type of stuff. Um, and singing like, hello, Miss Oleski, back and forth, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then um, with my older kids, again, I think it looks different. I think depending again on what your anchor is for your lesson, um, that will determine whether or not you do like some quick drill work. If you're really working on something where you want them to be able to read this pattern or that, um, that specific element. Um, but for me, I think as long as they're coming in and they're singing and they're using their bodies, 
they have that learning readiness ready to go. Because a lot of times that stuff is going to come later on in the lesson when it's embedded in an activity or in the repertoire that we're using it with. And, and not to say that you can't, I mean, this is just for me, not to say that you can't extract some of those patterns and like have them as the warm up. I think that's a beautiful idea. Um, but for me, a lot of times that comes later, I guess. What about you? Do you always have a vocal warm up? Do you always have like some drills or something that you're doing? I tend to focus more on a rhythmic, in terms of like things that stay consistent, K5. My more consistent, like large part of the warm up is going to be rhythm. And if I, and I definitely do like vocal vocal um, work as well to get the voice ready because our singing voice in music is going to feel pretty different from our speaking voice. So we want to just, as you say, set the tone for that different area of learning. Um, But I find that if, and this was going to say earlier, I think that it will be really freeing for people. It is freeing for me to hear you say that your fifth grade routine doesn't need to look like your kindergarten routine. And it shouldn't because, and I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if the whole point is learning readiness and you say, all right, fifth grade, please echo me. Hello, (laughs) Mrs. Bowler. Right. That's not setting up for learning readiness. I wish everyone could have seen your your head (laughs) nods yourself. But anyway, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, like this this sing-song approach is not the same in fifth grade as it is with kindergarten. And the way I think about that is in the context of children's musical cultures. Mm -hmm. So if you were to look at uh, a five-year-old playing on the playground, they probably would use their voice a lot. And they do, you know, make up songs. They sing what they're doing, like they narrate it all the time, whatever, whatever. Fifth graders are more likely to use their bodies in a way that is more rhythmic it's more time bound in in terms of uh, rhythm being the the durations that happen in time than a younger child would and so when we think about setting the tone for learning in a way that students will be on board with I'm more likely to emphasize rhythm with those upper grades and then when I ask them to use their voice, it will be more in the context of a game. The other thing with upper elementary is I find that singing along with a recording, mm. uh, we can still do echo patterns and reading on the board and solfege work and stuff like that. But if we have some sort of pop back tra- backing track or or something that's going on, it takes the pressure off of those older students who get really, really nervous about the idea of using their voice and using their voice on cue. Yeah, that's interesting. I was thinking, so how do you, do you meet your students at the door? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm just thinking, I'm envisioning, like, if you meet, like, a K through, you know, second grade um, 
class at the door and you're just sitting riding on the railroad, riding on the railroad, right? And they're coming in, they're following you, they're a train, all that good stuff. Um, that probably wouldn't fly as well with like fifth or sixth grade, as opposed to like they're walking in in their line and they know the game, like my mom is calling me and they just know to like get in a ring while they sing. Like that's kind of how I'm envisioning like something starting. So, you know, I don't always to be just very clear, <laughs> very honest, I guess. Um, I don't always, always meet kids at the door. You know, sometimes things happen. There's a teacher who needs to talk to you or whatever. Um, but I think having like a contingency plan where they know where to go there's something on the board or something that they are like kind of clicks in their brains like to have that learning readiness again I think is really really important but ideally it's always meeting them at the door yeah that's what we that's what we plan for and then the reality is we live in a real world right right where you get a phone call or or someone needs to give you a message or something like that you know so if you plan for the routine then when something happens and you can't be, you know, the facilitator of that experience, then that's a great point for students to show you how well you have taught them. Mm. And it's also a nice way to say, you know, I obviously can trust you guys. Uh, next class, I'll just greet you at the door and I'll just stand there and watch you. And we'll have that ownership. Like I'm not going to lead you in, you know, whether it's a second grade class or a fifth grade class or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, planning for the routine so that when there's a disruption, that routine is still in place. Yeah. So I'm kind of answering the next question I have for you. But so does your routine always look the same? We've already kind of talked about this a little bit. With your little ones, with your older ones, is it always like the same like like four or five bullet points that you're going to make sure you get to before you get to like the meaty part of your lesson. What do you think? Yeah. So in, in the like big categories, my categories will always be there in the sense mm-hmm. of like the physical space, the emotional space, the social space, the musical space. Um, but then, so we've talked about like older elementary versus younger elementary, but my routine also changes throughout the year mostly in the emotional space and the social space. I'll add the musical space in there as well. Uh, And the big area that it looks different is in improvisation. Mm -hmm. So improvisation is a big part of my routine. And then how we are improvising, whether it is by ourselves or we're turning to a partner or we're getting in a small group or we're using an instrument or something like that, that is the the thing that's going to change throughout the year, depending on the concept we're working on and depending on what students are ready to do and everything like that. So at the beginning of the year, it's very, very echo. It's very teacher driven. And that makes the first day of school uh, just not as, well, it's exciting in other ways, but the first day of school, I just want to like get it over with. And I know that's not a very exciting (laughs) thing to say, but I do just like want to get through it in the same way that when I write the first sentence in an essay, it's like, we just got to plow through it because the actual, the actual work is coming. Not that the first day of school isn't the actual work, but we're going to move to higher and higher levels of student ownership. And that starts in the warm up. So if I were to do, um, like a clapping uh, back and forth echo patterns, I might clap something. And then instead of asking you to echo, I would ask you to put it on body percussion of your choice. But the rhythm is probably going to be the same. And then the next class, I might ask you to change the rhythm and do body percussion. And then the next class, I might ask uh, student volunteers 
to do their body percussion improvisation. And then the next class after that, we might turn to partners and do question and answer like that. And then, you know, and on and on and on and on. So that kind of trajectory of the year is something that changes in addition to like the K5 vertical changes. Yeah. So your warm up, <laughs> your warm ups are following your curricular sequence, right? Like the things mm. that you would expect them to be able to do and like a, like a prepare, present practice kind of thing or like a, you know, another, another type of. Or an imitate, warm. explore. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. All that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's really interesting. So like early on, like it's kind of like a um, copy me, like echo me, like you said, then you move on to like, oh, you can do some of these things where you're still echoing, but you're doing it through a different form of media. And then it moves on to complete student ownership where the students are, are starting that imitation and then the other students are copying or doing something different. Yeah, super cool. Right. Yeah, and that's a really, right. really practical place a really, I would think, comfortable place for folks to start incorporating improv if they're not familiar with it. Just in those simple, like that was kind of like a mini, a mini improv <laughs> a sequence there, right? Just within the context of a short, short warm up within a short, you know, four beat patterns using Tan TT even, right? Yeah. And that's, and that's the intention is that it's not something and I, and I know that you feel the same way about this. We're not going to have a lesson on how to improvise. Mm -hmm. We're just going to improvise. And we improvise every lesson throughout the year. And I maybe I should say, like, we will make a, a musical choice mm -hmm. every day throughout the year. Whether it is um, change the body percussion or change the levels of body percussion. Like, how many levels are you going to do? Something like that. Um, and, and you can get... This is why I, I really appreciate all of the variety that can happen in a rhythmic warm-up. Because you can also be in, you know, non-locomotor, just standing there. But then you could also say, um, move when you improvise, stand still when you listen to someone else improvise, you know, that kind of thing. So there are just lots of opportunities there to set the tone for how divergent mm. students are allowed to be. But it's not just like a cacophony of sound and kids just like improvise for however long they want and they're just going to keep going and going and going. It's, it's metered. It's still within the parameters that the teacher sets as the boundary. Yeah, it's time bound, right? It's, it's based off of whatever framework or example that you've mm -hmm. given them. Um, and just simple echoing, right? Right. Yeah, right. I love that. I love that because if we're thinking about the learning readiness and you want them to make a musical choice, so if improvisation is musical choice, I want people to know that that's what you said because it's very, very smart because that really is all improvisation is. <laughs> and if you're going to make a musical choice every lesson, you should provide opportunity for that musical choice every warm-up or every opening routine, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I want to go to your games because yeah. that is actually something – that I do not do in terms of like we walk in and start playing a game. We might walk in and start like singing a song, but then that leads into other rhythmic and melodic work. So talk to me about, I want to hear about upper elementary, mm -hmm. your top handful of games oh, that geez. they will like. Go. And I know no it'll pressure. depend on what you're teaching them. <laughs> I know it'll depend on what you're teaching them, but just like for people like me who are like, oh, Fifth graders like what game? I have to do that game. Oh gosh. So anything from step it down, right? Um, so like just from the kitchen, the shoe. And if people don't know, step it down. 
the I can the, link it in the, the in the thingy meduter. Yeah. You're talking about a book. Oh yeah, sorry. Resource. <laughs> yeah. I forget that other people are gonna be listening to this. Yeah, so it's a book resource, has lots and lots of great, 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 great things that Upper Elementary loves, lots of ring games, lots of oh gosh, don't ask me to 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 rattle off the categories. Um but uh, that's a great one. Uh, anything that is like lots of gross locomotor stuff. So like the stereotypical thing for me is like if you want to try out having your kids play a game when they walk in, like just start with Alabama gal. They've probably done it in third grade. It's like a, a good old favorite it has lots of syncopa, it's syncopa all day long. It has the extended pentatone in it. You can, you know, play a round of Alabama gal, stop echo some patterns back and forth. So, I mean, not to say that like they would come in, they would play the game and then we would go to the next thing. It's much more like, okay, they come in, I'm sitting Alabama gal or the new England dance masters recording to your point is playing so that they can just start, you know, playing. They know exactly what to do. They've learned the game many, many lessons previous. They like here, they're like, Oh, we know exactly what to do. They get in, you know, their long way set with partners and they just start singing and playing. Then when we're done, we take a peek at the learning target. Maybe we extract some of the patterns from it and then we transition to what's next. So it's not like, Oh, we're going to play, 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 play and not have that moment of like, of like, here's the point of today's lesson. Like there's always a portion where we're referring to the learning target but it's coming from what we've been doing inside of the lesson the minute they walk in the room. Is that helpful? Are you saying that if you do Alabama Gal as your opening song, then the learning target is related to some sort of musical content within Alabama Gal? If not directly, then something that can be transitioned from it. <laughs> so like if I'm using Alabama gal for lo la lo so right come through in a hurry da 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 la so right and that's like one of my practice songs for lo so or something or even just cinco pa then I'm going to use that to transition into another another song later on so even if it's not directly related I'm going to find a way to relate it <laughs> That makes sense. Right. Okay. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So would an example of that be, so we're going to sing the song, play the game, and then maybe extract some patterns, and then maybe you change the pattern a little bit, mm -hmm. and now it is uh, Big Fat Biscuit or yeah, yeah. something something along those lines. Yeah, 100%. Okay. So then you're talking about your opening routine, thinking about it as like a big transition in terms of the student's day, but it also serves as a learning transition within the actual uh within the actual lesson itself yeah absolutely and i think that um i think that you can easily make that happen no matter what you choose as your opening game you know what i mean i think i mean i'm not gonna have fifth graders come in and play bow wow wow but i could find a way to do some echo patterns based off of bow wow wow to translate into you know extended pentatone right transition that way so i mean there there's always a connection point. You just have to work backwards to make that transition happen. But yeah, so the students will, oh, sorry, go ahead. What are you going to say? I want you to make that transition happen because, <laughs> yeah, so let's say you're like, you're going to greet students at the door and you're going to say, today we've got the Bow Wow Wow remix style. Oh and gosh. I'm going to ask you to walk into Bow Wow Wow and then we're going to do a remix. Because, because I hear what you're saying about mm -hmm. we'll take 
X and you don't have to use bow, wow, wow. And you can use whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But can you give us an example of literally, literally step by step? Like if I've never taken a four beat Mm -hmm. pattern and changed it into something new, like how do I make that magical transformation happen? Okay, where are we starting and where are we going? Bow, wow, wow, just bow, wow, wow, me, Rachel. Where do you want me to go? Like extended pentatone? Yeah, let's imagine we're doing low law or low so. Okay, so we can go into Alabama Gal then. Let's just use the two songs that I I was talking about. And then I'm going to find something for you to do on the spot, Victoria. <laughs> I think you're doing great. And okay, cool. Because, because truly, and like this is something that sometimes people learn this in undergrad. Yeah. And I think probably most of the time they don't. And after this, I also want to hear about uh, a opening routine or a first day of school or something that went wrong. And I have my own thing to share. But you get to start because I'm going to have to think okay, about it. And I'm fine. already that's on the fine. spot. So it's fine. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's so very here's, true. Um, so me, Rachel. I'm not sitting. I don't have a tuning fork. I don't even know where I am, but that's where we are. Me, Rachel. Do, Rachel. Do, la, do. Do, do, la, do, 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 la, do, me, come through in a hurry, come through in a hurry. Yeah. So something like that. Beautiful. And so you could just go back and forth, you know, and it's like, it's like, oh, wait, but how do you do that? And it's like, you just start with do, do, la, do, me. Well, the me is a rest and bow, wow, wow, right? If you were to line those up and then make like a huge chart graph thing. And then the more you do it, the more you can just kind of do it like that when Victoria Bowler puts you on the spot to make a transition happen. (laughs) I think that's incredible that you can do that off the top of your head. I think that is a huge skill. Have you always been able to do that without seeing the notation on the board? Mm, Not not like my first couple years of teaching. Um, I mean, it was writing them out, like practicing, looking at like what songs were, we're like way beyond opening routines, but that's cool. Um, like, uh, like if I have all of my repertoire for my lesson, right. If I have my five ish songs, give or take however many, um, and they're all related to my learning target, regardless of what phase I'm in, right. My learning phase, then there's gotta be a connecting thread, which is why it's so important to have a learning target, because not only does that inform the repertoire that you're going to choose it informs your transitions it informs the rhythmic and melodic exercises you'll be doing it in your opening routine and all of that good stuff so yeah you're saying that you have built a musical context Mm -hmm. based off of your core objectives for the lesson and so because you know what you're doing in that lesson it is very easy to take a little pattern and transform it into anything and at this point you probably correct me if i'm wrong but i can't imagine that you write down your specific transition like your specific Mm -hmm. melodic changes you just do it but it's all because go ahead Yeah, no, never. Just because, especially if it's like an echo thing, if I'm going to do something more complicated, which don't ask me to make an example of that, but if I, like the easiest way, (laughs) the easiest way to do transitions when you're first starting is that transformation, right? And like changing it little by little, just have the students echo you so that they're still in that context and they never notice that it changes into another song until you change into the other song. So yeah, so 100%. I think once you once you're clear on what your objective is, you're clear on your repertoire and you know your repertoire inside and out, you don't need to look at, you know, some notation in order to sing it and you know, like if you had to like put it in stick notation real quick on the board, you could. I think having that kind of knowing about what you're teaching and why allows you to do all those transitions, right? Because you can extract all of those patterns in a meaningful way. And 
Right. And so, you know, to your point, this is something that extends beyond the warm up, beyond the opening routine. But the opening routine sets the musical tone for the rest of the lesson. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't have clarity on what the musical tone is, the actual warm up routine is going to be tricky to throw together. Yeah, because here's the thing. So like take, you know, you mentioned Big Fat Biscuit. So if you're using that um, for a single big fat biscuit yeah single bar um (laughs) think about it for a minute if you're using that for single bar too and you're also using alabama gal in your lesson um and it's a single paw lesson maybe your transitions are going to be clapping patterns with single paw so in your warm-up to your point you'll be doing a heck of a lot of echo patterns with single paw or improvisation patterns where students get to do the same thing or do something different, right? Or they're taking the echo pattern and putting it on their body so that they have that embodied music making experience. So when the transitions happen, it's like, oh, we've done this before. It just makes sense. You set that tone, not only for the rhythmic content, not only for the embodied music making, but for everything that's going to happen in your lesson, because everything's going to translate back to or transfer back to the syncopat learning objective, including your transitions. Yeah. Right. Cool. Right. Yeah. I love that. That sounds like a really <laughs> magical way to begin learning. Yeah, I like it. I guess I didn't realize I was I was doing that, but if I just had a little Victoria Bowler on my shoulder all the time to <laughs> help me identify these things. I mean, I knew I was doing it because everything always relates back to the learning target, right? To your learning objective. Yeah. Right. So, right. Cool. Talk to me about something. Um, I want to jump to... Uh, to kind of like mix our verbiage, one of the things that I care about is the emotional space Mm -hmm. and the social space. And what I mean by emotional space is when you walk in, especially that very first class, that very first day of music, I am going to be smiling at you and I'm going to make eye contact with you. And that, like just having a teacher, and this is why when you asked if I greet students at the door, I was like, oh yeah, big time. Mm -hmm. Because having a teacher like look at you and smile and make eye contact with you as an eight-year-old, that is dramatically different. Not just as an eight-year-old, gosh, for everyone, that's dramatically different from a teacher sitting at the desk. Like, let me finish up this email. You guys come on, come on in. Not that that teacher doesn't care about the students. It's just in terms of the nonverbal communication eye contact and a smile and a song, uh, all of that goes a really long way into helping with that emotional space. And then with the social space, there is going to be an element of classroom management that you kick into gear during the warm-up, during the opening routine, because it is a transition. And so how we correct student behavior in that opening routine matters. So I'm flipping uh, all this, I would say all this to bring it back around. If someone wants to do an Ann Molesky warm-up, what are some things from just like a, a regular Tuesday classroom management standpoint, what are some things that I can watch out for? I, let's take, um, let's take that itty bitties routine because that's easier for me to, cause it pretty much stays the same. So my kids come in singing and, um, like a greeting song or a hello song or something. And, um, go to assigned seats to start the class. Very, very rarely are we in assigned seats unless it's at the beginning of class with the opening routine or we're doing some board work, right? I'm doing like a discovery presentation type type deal. Um, but they'll, yes. Do you feel like you have to give like a disclaimer? You're like, they have assigned seats, but it's also a very creative <laughs> and active room, but we have assigned seats, but please don't pin me down as an assigned seats person. I'm not. 
I'm not an assigned person. I'm like, pick a partner. Like I'm also that type of person. Right. But, but again, we're aiding that transition, that big transition into the music room where they have this big open space. They're used to having their confined self space of like a desk and a chair and all that kind of stuff. So when they come in the music room, if they have an assigned seat as itty bitties, I think the older kids can handle it because they've lived in my classroom, ideally a little bit longer. Um, but when the itty bitties come in, just the transition yeah, of sitting you on home. a that was great. spot that was perfect. in a big open room with a new teacher, as opposed to their desk that they're in most of the day is a huge deal. So I think it's important to start there. So I'm not an assigned seats person, but I am for the beginning of music class. Um, so they come in and do that. And then we do, um, you'd see me saying, I'll stand up, I'll sit down. And then we do some stretches some vocal explorations. And then we go to our learning target. Then we'd sing some more. Then we go right into a movement warm up. So things like walking to a drum, um, different patterns of walk tiptoe, like doing some, some very clear, um, things that you would see very rhythmically walking. So like walk tiptoe stretch types of patterns, like those basic rhythmic foundations. Um, but so they're going to be using their voice. They're going to be doing walk tiptoe stretch type of stuff, but it's all going to be very clear and very predictable for them. So they know to come to their seats. They know when it's time to stand up. They know when it's time to sit down. They know when it's time to sing and keep a steady beat. Um, they know when I sing, I'll stand up and then start, you know, the Ella Jenkins, I'm gonna walk and a walk and a walk and a stop, like almost without fail. That's how I get into the movement portion, even if that's the only part of that song that I sing. And then I go into patterns, right? So in terms of a classroom management thing, I think that having something like that, that is predictable, that they know that's what it's going to look like, especially for those itty bitties, every time they come in the classroom takes care of a lot of that. Otherwise, and that's why I always start there with the little ones, because otherwise for me and my experience, when I try to start with a completely different activity or I try with a new activity that takes a lot of teacher talk, I'm getting away from, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the purposes of my opening routine, pardon me, um, and so I want to set the tone and I want them to be making music. And I know that they know how to do that if I stick to that routine for the itty bitties. And I know that the older kids will know how to do that if I start with a game or a song or an activity that is really, really familiar to them that they they have some ownership over, right? And so, and so by having, it's almost kind of like a peer pressure kind of thing, right? Because everybody's doing it because they know what's expected because it's something that we practice. And so the first day of school, is a lot, if not exclusively, practicing this opening routine. Tell me about that. The first day of school is exclusively <laughs> practicing. I have a frog in my throat. Excuse me. Does this, when you say that, do you mean that you do the opening routine and then you say, let's go back and we'll do it again? Oh, yeah, we practice And then you it. do it a third time. Yeah, we practice it because the first time kids hear, I'll stand up. Half of them stand up, but the rest of them don't, right? So, I mean, it's all of that. It's practicing that. And then where's your spot? And it's like, here's, well, first of all, we have to assign seats the first day. You know, if they're little, they don't even the know first their name. Three months. <laughs> exactly. The first three months so, is just like, no, that's no. not your spot. <laughs> but what we do, V, is we go ahead and they find their assigned, their assigned seats. And then it's like, okay, go back to the door. And then it's like, find your, find your seats in five, four, three two, one, and you're done, right? 
okay, do it again. And it's practicing that. And then it's like, okay, now let's go to the next part. And so maybe I have a chart, maybe I have like a visual schedule or I just write it with a dry erase marker. Cause let's be real of the types of things that are in our predictable routine. And then again, hopefully if we have the um, retention with our kids and we're at a, a building, the older kids will just know what it means to be having that control in self-space and shared space. And so doing like a game or like talking about where the learning target is and stuff, they kind of know how things work in the classroom. Um, and if not, then we practice that. And maybe it's practicing with like rain around the rosy, you know, if they, if they all know that from <laughs> however many years ago, if they're older kids or just, just trying to get those procedures in place so that we don't have to deal with those classroom management issues later on. And the nice thing about having these different components in the opening routine is you're dealing with standing up, sitting down. You're dealing with going to your assigned seats. You're dealing with doing some movement. You're, de you're dealing with all of these different types of activities and the transitions between them within the context of the warm-up. So they've practiced those transitions as soon as they've started class. And then they go into like, again, I keep calling it the meat of the music lesson, but it looks very, very similar. The nuts and bolts of how we move around the music space, the nuts and bolts of how we move from activity to activity are, if not the exact same, very, very similar. I love that. So if we talk about in music, music being uh, a, a pleasant combination of repetition and novelty, that is reflected in a warm-up routine. Yes. As far as, you know, the, and, and especially, and like you're talking about, a lot of repetition for the youngest musical learners, mm -hmm. which just developmentally makes a lot of sense to have something that is predictable every single time because those young students really, really thrive off of predictability. Like I want to know what's happening next, especially for, and you know, bringing it back on the first day of school, especially for those very young students with a lot of anxiety about going to school at all. And then you get introduced and like, this is your teacher and this is your desk. Oh, this is another teacher. There are no desks. You like, it's totally wide open and you don't know anyone's name in your class and you don't know the teacher's name. And even though you said your name, I've forgotten because I'm five and there's just too much going on, right? Mm -hmm. So the amount of overload that we ask five-year-olds to hang with us through is really astounding. And so I think that your practice of doing the opening routine over and over so that those students have, again, like if we want to link our verbiage in terms of having a safe social space and a safe emotional space, that's what you're doing, even though you might not necessarily frame it that way. It's mm -hmm. the, that's the function that it serves. Yeah, because if you think about it, you know, my observations of kids walking into their grade level classroom at the beginning of the day, they always do the same thing, right? They paint up their backpacks, they go get their morning work or whatever routine their teacher has set up, and they know what to do their entry task, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever language the teacher decides to use. And they go there every single day. And they still do that every single day. They come to us maybe once a week twice a week if you're lucky, you know. Um, and so to not have something that's aiding that huge transition, especially for those little kids, especially if you see them like at the end of the day and they're tired, you know, like all of that kind of junk and like whatever has happened 
during the day at recess, at lunch, at home, before they came to school, you know, what's going to happen when they go home. Like there's lots of things on their little brains. So if you can do something to just kind of set that stage, set the tone and keep seeing it over and over again, that kind of refocuses them so that whatever happened outside of the music room isn't an issue anymore because now we're here and this is what we're doing and this is what we always do. And I think there's a Mm -hmm. lot of safety in that. Yeah, exactly. Like you're saying. So, yeah. So it's the foundation it's the foundation of safety so that you can ask them to take risks later in class because you are going to ask them to take risks in terms of creative movement. If we want to just stick with those, let's just say kindergarten, yeah. we're going to ask for risks in the term in terms of creative movement and solo singing and all of these musical tasks that we do. And so having that routine, even though I guess I'm thinking about a music teacher And I understand this perspective, a music teacher who's like, music is a creative space and I want it to be a surprise about what's going to happen in here. And I want to take the time to just like talk about their day and and everything like that. And uh, again, I I absolutely understand that perspective. I I would yes and that this foundational safety um, floor is really important for all of the other creative, divergent, uh, social, um, emotional, everything else that we do in the rest of the lesson. Yeah, and there's ways to, and I get that too, you know, wanting to develop those relationships and you have 500 kids or more in a building and you see them once a week and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the the age old answer is like, oh, well, let's do that, like during your duty or like hop out there during your plan. And that's great. But you also want to do it in a musical context too. So that's where I think sometimes this idea that you're a musical choice and the improvisation, I mean, there's ways you could build that in. Um, I mean, shoot, like have them like, what's your favorite color? It is blue. I mean, just like silly little things that are silly maybe, but also like give you an insight to how your kid's going to react, gives you insight into how, what, what they do like, favorite pet, favorite food, you know, like, I mean, that's like a very, very basic example, but there's ways that you could build that in if it's really, really important to you in a musical way. And, you know, the fact that we see our kids so rarely, we want to build that personal connection, but I think we have to build it within the context of the musical community that we're building. And so, you know, a lot of what warm up looks like is going to be teacher led because exactly what you said, so many of those risks are going to happen later. And then you get to know your kids and get to know them in this musical context, which is going to allow you to do your job to make them better musicians, better people in the time that you have. Right. So, so I get that, but The other thing I would add to your point is this is a long game Mm. as if if you have a student population that you can expect to see from kindergarten to fifth grade. And I understand like no school population has the exact same student group. That's 100 percent not realistic. But even if there is a possibility of having students at the beginning of the year and then at the end of the year, which again, I just want to acknowledge, I know that not every teaching scenario has that stability even within a one year time frame. But even if you just have one year with these students, that is, you know, however, you know, 30 something lessons. So you have 30 something touch points to get to know these students over the course of the year. So it doesn't need to be, not every single lesson needs to be like, sit down, I really wanna get to know you guys. Like, I care about this social and emotional environment here, so let's talk about you, right? We're going to embed 
those things in how we approach the learning space. Okay, I have not always had an opening routine. Ooh. One of my very first, yeah, one of my... <laughs> True confessions. <laughs> yeah, one of my very first teaching um, gigs was when I was in my undergrad, I was in charge of the university children's choir. And I did not realize that little kids can't read. And they can't read like easy words, like easy words. And if you ask them to spell their name, they can make shapes in like abstract shapes that are in a general letter of their name right but like the e is going to take up the whole page and then the rest of it is just like a scribble right but I wanted to get to know them because and I also knew that they didn't know each other and so I wanted to do an activity where they each had worksheets they had worksheets and and they would walk around. <laughs> You're like, did you hear me? They had worksheets. <laughs> hey, Anne, are my friends if I say I gave worksheets on the first day? But they would walk around and like read on the worksheet, um, find someone who has a sister. You gave find them a someone... teacher icebreaker. For I gave them school. <laughs> I gave them a teacher icebreaker for the first day of school. Do you think it went well, Anne? <laughs> It did not. (laughs) And I had, uh, since it was like an after school, it was like a community thing, right? At like the local university. So I had like parents looking in the window (laughs) and things are just chaos. Like it's total, complete chaos. And so finally I was like, raise your hand if you like Oreos. Wow. (laughs) Look how many of us like Oreos. We have so much in common. Who has a dog? (laughs) It was, it was nonsense it was garbage and I should have known better I should have known better like even if you are uh, like a 19 year old should know that very young kids can't read and so that to say that is not the tone that I want in any learning space and so I only had to do that once before I was like got it now I know what kids are I will not do that again (laughs) I know how they work That might be my favorite thing. Oh my gosh, who likes Oreos? I was like, does anyone have a dog? Okay, wow, we have so much in common. And the kids were like, no, we don't. We don't trust you anymore. Oh my gosh. I don't have have a story that can top that. I don't. I just have stories of kindergartners not knowing their names and then inevitably like always one has an accident the first day in the music room. So it's just like there it is right what is with that what do you think is with that I think it's like having a toddler myself I think it's like they're just so overwhelmed and excited and it's like they forget that they have to go until it's too late I really think that's what it is because I know not from personal personal experience (laughs) but from um my now newly minted four-year-old's experiences but I think that's just little kids right and you know what's great about that though it's like if it happens before they come to the music room and you're like oh I see so-and-so didn't come to the first day of school they're like oh no he did he just had an accident he's at the nurse like that's just life we got you we all like Oreos we all have accidents some of us have a dog <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> anyway <laughs> that's good so 
cool. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say about opening routines or Oreos or? <laughs> or my deep, dark secrets from my undergrad days? Oh, my gosh. Um, I like this. I like this conversation um, in that it's general. And, I, mm. and that's on purpose because not every routine should look the same. And depending on how long you've seen your students and depending on their age, um, emotionally and developmentally, um, there are changes that we're going to make. So I like this framing. Give me your two things. One was the tone. And then they need to make music right away. And you know, the thing is, is that I think that it's important to, for me, I think it's important when I talk to other teachers to say that those are the goals, because for some, some folks having a routine, like very regimented, we come in. We say hello, we say our rhythm exercise, you know, having that gives them that sense of security or something that the students know that they need to do each and every time. And it could even be student led, gives them the opportunity to take attendance. Like I know some people have to do that. And so, you know, there's all of these different moving pieces, depending on your teaching style, what your campus requires, um, you know, just a ton of different stuff that's going to dictate what is feasible for you in an opening routine. But I think if you can center in on setting the tone um, for what you're doing that day in terms of the types of music making, um, what your learning target is, and then get them making music right away is just so, so important. So I think if we can do those two things, no matter what it looks like in your classroom on whatever day, that's great, you know? Right, right. You are not saying that... Uh, to be a good music teacher, you need to follow these six steps of the perfect opening routine. You are saying to be an intentional music teacher, you need to have a core, uh, you need to have a grasp on your values Mm -hmm. and find a way to live those values every single moment that you can with your students and let them know that music is a really special place that we are going to have a lot of fun in and make a lot of music together and have a a fabulous time. But it's not, these are the six steps to an opening routine. No, because there's a million different templates like that out there. I know you have one. I know I have one. Like there's, there's those out there for, you know, people who want to have a starting place because it's important to have a starting place. So if you want a starting place, then sure. Like greeting song, um, rhythmic warmup, melodic warmup, movement warmup, transition into activity. There's your, there's your template for an opening routine, right? Like, or any, any number of those types of things or vocal exploration, stretches, movement, go into your next activity, Mm -hmm. like read the learning target. Like you can come up with those steps in any, any formula that fits for you. But if they are having, using their voice, moving their body, knowing what the intention is for that day, then I think it's a, a successful opening routine. So yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. You brought it home. That was great. That was perfect. 